0: good morning, everybody. It's good to be together again. Yeah, the new Star Wars movie, right? The Last Jedi comes out in just under a month. Are you excited for it? I mean, come on. I'm I'm so excited. Okay, got to find out who is like all in with this, okay? Who already has tickets for opening weekend, okay, sometime? All right, I am with you. We will be there on Thursday night. We are all in with the Star Wars stuff. I want to talk today about the idea of calling, okay? Isn't there just something really kind of mysterious and captivating about the idea of being called? That you've been chosen to do something, that you have this this purpose, this design to kind of make a difference. We look at at people in our culture, right, who rise to to great positions or they become part of some life-changing movements, and we say, man, those people are just what? They're living out their calling. They're just, that's just who they were made to be. And maybe there's even kind of a little bit of hint of jealousy in there, right? Because I want to live some grand adventure. I want to be known that I'm called to something, that I have this purpose that God set out for me and designed for me. And we get to the Bible, and we see these grand callings that happen, right? We see Abraham get called by God, and God makes great promises to him. We see Moses in this burning bush, right, that experience that he has, and he goes on to just live this dramatic life. We see Paul, right, walking on a road, and he has this Jesus encounter, and he goes on to just do amazing work. So we set our sights on something really big, right? We look to, to the Abrahams. The Moseses, the Pauls, and we kind of define calling by that. We want something big to happen. But in the Bible, all over the Bible, there are all kinds of callings, scores and scores of them, that are not the big, huge callings, but they're less prominent. They're less highlighted, but they're so important. People called to be things like like tent makers uh, to open up their houses. to to look for ways to serve in different ways, maybe taking a message somewhere, maybe giving their food or their resources or encouraging or teaching, all kinds of callings. So what is this idea of a calling? Where do I fit in God's plan, his design? And am I ready to respond if God nudges me to do something? Okay, Am I ready to respond to that? What's it going to cost me? And where do I go once I hear that call. So we've been in this series, right? It's called Swimming Upward. We're looking at the life of a couple of God's prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And just a reminder: prophets were, were uh people chosen by God to speak God's truth into the culture at the time. They had this kind of teaching role where they would correct kings and, and leaders and God's people and get them back on course. They also had this role where God would reveal things to them, and they would pass those things on to other people, perhaps about a future event, or maybe to warn of danger, or to pronounce judgment. These prophets were messengers. They would pass things on. But that, that could be quite a lonely gig to be a, to be a prophet, uh, because people were against you often. You didn't have good news. As the expression goes, don't shoot the messenger, right? But the prophets they were shot at a lot. They lived in fear many times. I mean, imagine being Elijah and telling people the famine's coming, right? I mean, we get mad, don't we, at the weatherman when the rain, like the rain is predicted or the weather goes south? So these prophets lived constantly in fear of their lives and with people against them. Now, we've talked about the prophet Elijah the past three weeks, and we've talked about the conditions that were present at the time, okay? That there were three major influences or players at the time. First, we had the dysfunctional power. In this case, this is the king of Israel, Ahab, and his wife Jezebel. These are not nice people here. We've heard about their dysfunction, about their worship of foreign gods, the Baals, promoting their worship. We've heard about how they, they stole and they murdered innocent people. Last week, Scott talked about how they used their power to to go against people. They hunted down prophets. It was the dysfunctional power. A second player is the remnant, and these are people, this group of people, followers of God, who chose to live God's way at great cost, even though everyone around them was, was abandoning God and choosing to follow idols. They chose to live God's way at great cost. And then we had this third influence, which is the prophets themselves, Elijah and Elisha. And today we're going to make the transition, okay, from Elijah to Elisha. We're going to talk about calling, what it means to be called. And then we're also going to talk about when God does call you to something, how do you, how do you in a sense, lean into that calling and follow through with what he's asked you to do, okay? But before we get deep into this, I want you to think and stop and think on your own for a little bit, okay? I want you to think about, have you had a time in your life, maybe it was recently, maybe it's been long ago, where you sensed that God was nudging you, was directing you to do something, okay? It doesn't have to be this big, I'm going to be a missionary, I'm going to be a pastor, just anything. Maybe it's to reach out to someone in your neighborhood or just to encourage somebody, Or maybe there's a local ministry that God was nudging you and pushing you towards. Have you ever had that kind of experience? Just to let you a little bit in on my story, okay? And I'm going to go back long ago. Many of you know this, but I'm going to say it again. Long, long ago when I was in college, and I mean long ago, I was a junior in college, and I was an economics major, and I was was ready to make some cash, okay? I wanted to go out and make money. And I went into the career development center my junior year, and I walked past this ad, ad place on the wall that ha- had ads, and I saw this ad that said, local church looking for like part-time youth worker. Didn't even think twice about it, just walked by it, went back later to my dorm, but I couldn't for the next few days, I just couldn't get this off my mind, okay? And I felt like God, I really sensed God was saying, just go, just go check this out, go find out what this is about. And there were no thoughts ahead like okay this is going to lead here and then here and here. It was just I felt like I had to do this. So I met with the pastor and kind of like, oh you've probably already got this filled, right? Well, not long after no he didn't and I stepped into that role as a part-time youth worker. A year later I was a senior um, and the church came and said, "Would you would you join us on staff full-time?" And it completely changed the direction, the course of where I was headed and so the question is in that, where, where was the call in that? You know, was, was, it, was it where I ended up? Was it, was it where I am today? Or was it at the beginning when God nudged me to take a step forward? And then maybe several steps along the way. Have you ever sensed God just asking you to take a step? Well, let's look at the passage today. So, we're going to be in 1st and 2nd Kings today in the Old Testament. We're going to start in 1st Kings 19, okay? 1st Kings 19. And and let me set the stage for this here because in chapter 18, the chapter before, we saw this epic showdown that happened between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Okay? Remember that Tom spoke about this several weeks ago? There was a contest to see which god was the real God, and each party set up an offering with, with wood on it and an animal, and they were going to call on their God to, to bring fire down on this offering, basically, okay? So the prophets of Baal went first, they cried out to their God, cried out, nothing happened, and then Elijah cried out to his God, which is our God, and then fire came down, consumed the altar, and, and what happened was that God's people who had been wavering, right, back and forth between following him and following these Baals, they fell down on their knees and they realized who the true God was and they chose to follow him. And what happened next was that the, the, the prophets of Baal were hunted down and they were destroyed, okay? Just some light reading before bed. Now after that, Ahab the dysfunctional king, right, who allowed the Baals to come in, goes home and he tells his wife Jezebel that the prophets of Baal have been destroyed, okay? And Jezebel, who we've said in prior weeks, not a nice lady, okay? She's very angry and she messages, whatever. She lets Elijah know, I'm coming after you. You're going to be dead by tomorrow. And Elijah flees. He runs for his life. Actually, to say he flees is an understatement here because check this out. He's up here at the plains. Of Jezreel, and he goes all the way down south, over a hundred miles there to get away to flee into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, Elijah has this significant experience with God. Please listen to this. God calls him out on a mount, okay? Elijah comes out, and a great wind comes before Elijah. And then that's followed by a great earthquake. Imagine you're Elijah here, followed by fire. Okay, But the Bible says that God's not in any of those big, huge things. But then a low whisper comes, and God's in it, and he speaks to Elijah. And we could talk a whole message on what that means, but let me just say this. We often look for God in the big, huge things when he is often at work in the quiet, quietly calling, quietly present, and God was with Elijah when he was with the Baals, when that big public spectacle happened, and he's with him now in the wilderness in the quiet. So that's kind of the context of what's happening as we pick up the story in 1 Kings 19.14. And I'm going to go ahead, if you see the scripture on the, on the side here, I'm going to go ahead and put Elisha and Elijah's names in there because it can get really confusing between Elijah and Elisha, okay? So 1 Kings 19.14, and here's what it says. Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord. Again, he's out in the wilderness here alone. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, they've thrown down your altars, and they've killed your prophets with the sword. And I even, I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. You see, Elijah's in a pretty desperate place here. His life is in danger. There's been prophets who have been destroyed. There's been uh, just things that have happened to him the majority of people aren't following. And he's in this, this depressed, kind of hopeless condition. And this is not the first time he's been here. He's been hopeless before. And after years of being this prophet, fighting this Seemingly never-ending battle to get God's people to follow. He is kind of at the end of his, his, his line here. And God meets Elijah where he's at in verses 15 through 18. I'm going to summarize here for the sake of time. And he says, Elijah, I want you to do three things. I want you to anoint a king in Syria. I want you to anoint a king in Israel. And the third thing I want you to do is I'm getting somebody to take your place. I want you to anoint Elisha to take your place as prophet. And God just seems to be saying here, Elijah, your, your time has come. This is kind of the start of the end here. So let's talk at the outset of just one principle of, of being called. When God asks you to do something, okay? And it's this. God calls and directs people who don't have it all together. Okay? Elijah here at this point, he's, he's tired, he's overwhelmed, he's, he's stressed, Many people he think he's prone to depression at this point, but God calls him as he is. But God's changing his call a little bit now because he's going to go from being full, all-on prophet, okay, to now being called to this mentoring role with Elisha, to have influence, to train, to have impact on the one who would take his place. But let me just drive home the point again we don't have to have it all together for God to call us to do something. And church, I'll, I'll just say this, if we wait, if we wait until we have it all together, one, we will never do anything, and two, then we take the glory for ourselves. And it's God who works through our weakness, and he does it in part to bring glory to himself. So let's continue, First Kings 1919, this is what it says, so Elijah departed from there and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, looks like Snapchat, every time I see it I think of Snapchat, (laughs) who was following with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him and Elisha was the 12th and Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon Elisha. He cast his cloak upon Elisha. Okay, so we've got, let's go back to the map for a second, because some people like maps around here. Okay, so he travels all the way from here, all the way up to Elisha's hometown, which is Abel Mahola, right there. He's basically just kind of living out what God asked him to do, to go find Elisha. And when he gets there, he finds Elisha at work. He's he's plowing with his oxen. And let me tell you this, Elisha's family's got some cash, okay? They've got some money, because this isn't just 12 oxen. This is 12 plows of oxen, okay? Each led by probably family or maybe servants of Elisha. And to have that number at that time indicated some wealth in the family, all right? Especially considering there was a famine that had just kind of happened around that time. So Elisha comes into the picture here from a much different place than Elijah. It's kind of a normal introduction. Here's a family. Here's a guy working Versus Elijah, who kind of comes, his onset is kind of sudden and mysterious. Elisha comes from this home, from this this family. Elijah never seems to have a home. Two very different kind of people here, but God calls all kinds. So Elijah sees Elisha from a distance. Then it says, Elijah passed by and cast his cloak upon Elisha. What in the world is this casting of a cloak? okay. I have a cloak here. I brought a cloak today. This is probably not the same kind of cloak that was in that time. That one probably had animal hair on it and things like that. But this, but actually, I got this. My parents brought this for trick-or-treat one year. This is funny. They, they, got, they came. They were going to trick-or-treat with us. So they bought the scream character. And I don't think my parents knew who the scream character was. So I kind of had to be really careful in the neighborhood. We didn't want to scare the kids. And Anyway, I decided to share that. Um, so... So this cloak here—if I come and I and I find you and I kind of—I'm not going to throw it on somebody—but if I put this on you, you're wondering what what in the world's going on. But these people knew exactly what was happening with this cloak. All right, this was a symbol of Elijah claiming Elisha as one of the prophets. There was no doubt they both knew it. No confusion. God—it was like Elijah saying, "God has spoken, and you are to be one of His prophets." So the cloak was this was this, this powerful picture of calling, okay? Maybe like the lightsaber, right? I had to bring Star Wars back in. But Elijah literally laid down the calling of God on Elisha. So Elisha passes by, he's on his plow, right? He gets his cloak cast on him, and he passes Elijah on his oxen. and at least it, it kind of implies that, because verse 20 says, and Elisha left the oxen, and he ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I'll follow you. And Elijah said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? Okay? Notice something here. Notice that Elisha ran toward the calling. This is significant. It it appears as though Elisha is in in a place where he's ready to respond to this call. His heart is in a place, and it's as if he's kind of been waiting for this call, and he, he embraces the calling here. Now, not all people we see in the Bible embrace the calling, right? You know the prophet Jonah, right, was asked by God to go speak to the people of Nineveh, and he ran from God, okay? He did the complete opposite of what Elisha did. So where do you fall in that? When God nudges you to do something, are you more like a Jonah? Are you more like an Elisha? But Elisha embraces the calling. He, he knows this is from the Lord. Uh, he leaves his oxen. He runs after Elijah. And then he says, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And, and I think Elisha, Elisha knows here that, that this is going to cost him big time. His life, as he knows it from this point, is going to change. His old life is going to be over. He's going to leave behind material wealth that he has, right? And the comfort, potentially. I mean, they had, they had stuff. But he's also going to leave behind his family. You know, there's no indication that he went back to his family and that he, he visited them. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But Elisha simply wants to go back and say goodbye. And let me just say this, there, there's a cost. There's a huge cost to following Jesus. There's a cost to following through with what he wants us to do. And Jesus spoke about that cost in Luke 14 when he said, man, you cannot put anything before me if you want to follow me, even family. He says, count the cost. Luke 14, he says, if any one of, of you... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Man, those are, those are strong words. Count the cost. Well, Elisha seems to have done that, right? He's counted the cost. And he just wants to say goodbye, and, and Elisha, I'm sorry, Elijah responds, go back again for what have I done to you? Go back again for what have I done to you? That's kind of a confusing statement. This isn't Elijah saying, oh my gosh, I've ruined your life by asking you to be a prophet, go back. But it's one of a couple of things, and I think commentators come down to these two things. Either either Elijah's saying here, Elisha, yeah, go back. Go back and kiss kiss your family goodbye. Why not? For what have I done to you? You've run all the way out here to see me and to follow. Of course you're going to go back and say goodbye. Or could also be interpreted, yes, Elisha, go back. For what have I done to you? I'm not the one who called you. It's the Lord who called you. So go back, but remember who called you. We're not sure. We're not sure which one. But there's, there's no indication here, right, that, he has a divide, that Elisha has a divided heart at all. Okay, he's all in. So I'm inclined to believe Elijah said, go back. Go back, say goodbye, see you in a little bit. Now stay here with me. Stay, stay with me here because what Elisha does next is big, okay? And this is in verse 21, 1 Kings 19, 21. And this is what happens. It says, Elisha returned from following Elijah, and he took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then Elisha arose, and he went after Elijah, and he assisted him. So Elisha goes back, he takes what he's in charge of, right? His plow of oxen, and he gives them up willingly. And he allows them to be used for this feast for his family. I think this is really big here, okay? Because Elisha, again, he's communicating he's not coming back to the life that he knew. I think we see kind of a burn the ships kind of moment here for Elisha. He's saying, what I own up to this point, what I have, it's no longer mine. He's counted the cost. He's all in with where God has called him. There's nothing left for him now. And this is kind of, this, this uh, sacrifice is kind of a symbol of him sacrificing his old life, his life as he knew it. All right, so this whole account, right? These, it's crazy. I mean, you've got, you've got prophets, you've got cloaks, you've got plows of oxen. What does this mean? What does this mean for us today? I don't think the passage speaks as much to what specifically we are called to, but it speaks to what we're supposed to do when God nudges us in a direction. And I think there's some important principles here. First, even before God invites us into something, whether it's by His Spirit He puts it in our our hearts, or the opportunity comes as dramatic as what happened to Elisha. First, we've got to be prepared for the call. We've got to be ready to do God's work, or we may not even hear the call. How do we do that? How do we do that? We walk with Jesus, we set his agenda, his priorities. His kingdom above our own. We have a ready heart. We have a heart that's turned and inclined toward God. We listen to the Spirit. We read His Word. We know and we explore the gifts that God has given us. And we keep our eyes open to opportunities, but we also keep our ears open to what others are saying around us, okay? Especially those that are mature in the faith, whether it's in our groups in this body or in leadership because God speaks through those ways. So be ready for God's work. Titus 3 says be ready for every good work. 2 Timothy 3:16 we've heard is that the word of God, what does it do? It gets us ready, it equips us for every good work. Be ready for the calling. Now let me just say on a side note, I think we've got to be very careful with calling because there's the danger of us moving forward sometimes, kind of a self-ascribed calling without any of those things, without the Holy Spirit, without the Word of God, without confirmation from anybody because we're human. And sometimes ambition, sometimes pride moves us forward when we shouldn't. And I, I really do believe that the confirmation of the body is just vital for us in our callings i would not have stepped forward without that i know tom wouldn't and others as well so so be ready be prepared for the call the second thing to do when we receive the calling is to be all in be all in with the call just know that following god and doing what he wants you to do is gonna cost it's gonna cost and when he asks you to do something ask ask what ships need to be burned so that you're not divided in carrying out what God wants you to do practically speaking if God calls you to help out at the food pantry on monday nights don't fill your monday nights with other things that are going to divide your heart from what he purposes he has for you to do don't fit the call into your life Fit your life around what the call is. Now, Paul was talking to Timothy about this. And in in 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, he he says to to, uh, the person he's mentoring, to Timothy here, he says, hey, I'm reminded of your faith, Timothy. It was in your grandma, it was in your mom, and it's in you now. For that reason, I remind you, when we laid hands on you for your calling, I want you to fan that into flame, the gift of God, because God has not given us a spirit of fear or of power, uh, but, of, but of power and of love and of self-control, okay? So go all in, go all in where God is calling you to go, go all in. It's, it's cool to be a part of this church and to see so many of you guys living this out, listening, being nudged by God, and following through in what He wants you to do. Whether it's a, a coat store, whether it's discipling other people, whether it's uh, getting involved with our youth here and being used by God for that, or finding a place for young adults to come and to uh, have community together. I could go on and on. So much is happening around here, but we need this. We need all of us to go all in with where God is directing us to go. We're going to keep moving in that direction. Okay, a final step when you've received the calling, okay, when you know God has laid it on your heart to do something, it's this. It's to be teachable. Be teachable after the call. Learn from those who've gone before you. All right, I got to go back to Star Wars, sorry, for a second. But earlier we saw that that picture, right, of Ray being called by the lightsaber. Well, that movie ends, if you remember, uh, this dramatic scene on the mountain with Ray handing the lightsaber to Luke. Sorry, spoiler alert. Handing the lightsaber to Luke. And the implication is what? That she is now coming under the direction, the authority to be trained by Luke, right? And this is exactly what Elisha did after he was called. He came under Elijah, 1 Kings 19, 21 says, Elisha arose and he went after Elijah and he assisted him. And this is where the story turns kind of from Elisha's calling to Elisha's mentoring. Because his job is now to come under the, the, the direction of someone who can help him fulfill what God has called him to be. And he does that by how? Just assisting Elijah. By simply coming alongside and helping, watching Elijah, what Elijah does in the day-to-day, gathering experiences and information, learning learning to be like his master. And, and church, I'll tell you, this is the model throughout the whole of Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see these mentoring relationships that are happening. Jethro and Moses, Moses and Joshua, Moses and Caleb, Samuel and Saul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and John, Mark, Paul and Timothy, Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. Mentoring relationships are a huge part of how we grow, how we become transformed to be like Christ. Now, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2. That's a lot of twos. He says to Timothy, hey, what you've heard from me in the presence of, of many witnesses, entrust to other people who will then go and entrust it to other people. So there's a mentoring aspect, but we've got to be teachable. We have to be teachable. You know, it's kind of cool. I heard about a couple guys around here who, who felt like God was calling them to up their game in their parenting, okay? And they wanted to be better parents and, and God had placed it on their heart. And so you know what they did? They, they sought out somebody in our body here and they said, somebody who had been through the parenting process, right, and had done well at it, and they brought themselves to that person and said, would you help us? Would you help us? We want to know and understand how to be better parents. And that, that was a, a humbling thing. It was, it was something else to put yourself in a position of being of learning and to being taught. But that should be happening all around this place this kind of mentoring relationship. It is the vehicle for our, our transformation. You know, I think back in my life, and maybe you can too, about the mentoring relationships that you've had. I've had many of them. Some of them I've sought out. Some of them people have just invited me into things. Um, I'll tell you, one of my first ones, this is very memorable, when I was 50, about 15 years old, I just started playing guitar. I'd maybe been playing a year and there was a guy at my church, his name was Jim Coleman, and he said, hey, would you come with me to a nursing home, local nursing home, and would you play guitar? We kind of have a service there, and we need a guitar player, and I had no business playing guitar, but he asked me, I said, sure, I'll go, and we began like this, this, probably over the course of two years, once a month, we would go and just lead the service at the nursing home, and as we went, you know we we drove he would he'd talk to me about why he did what he did his faith um and then we would get there and we would serve and over that time it was really interesting cuz he would invite me to do certain things he'd say hey Dan see those people over there would you would you go say hi to them you know the shy 15 year old so i'd go over and say hi to them hey Dan would you would you pray during the service uh okay pray hey Dan would you would you uh I don't know, would you maybe just welcome people today? Hey, Dan, would you take 10 minutes and just pick a verse out, and would you be our speaker today? (gasps) What? Are you kidding me? And doggone it, Jim Coleman, that sneaky guy, I had no idea, but he was discipling me. He had brought me under his wing. He had given me opportunities to step up, and that experience changed me. It gave me confidence to do things I had not done before. And I think I can look back and see many different things in my life through mentors where God has just built into me. That's how he changes lives. It's thought that Elijah Elijah and Elisha spent between six and ten years together, okay, after this call. There's no mention of what happened during that time, we can speculate, but our only insight is in 2 Kings 2. We're back to twos again. I don't know why there are so many twos today. 2 Kings 2, but this is where things get really interesting. And I wish we had time to really unpack all of this chapter today, but we don't. I, but what I want you to see is the handoff here from Elijah to Elisha. So 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, and this is what it says. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Elijah is not going to die. He's not going to taste physical death. Sign me up, okay? God is going to take him straight to heaven. He's in small company, right, of those who who did not taste physical death, Enoch being one of them. Now, in the next few verses, I'm going to summarize here. I'm going to read through it, but you don't just listen to this. You're going to see this funny interaction between Elijah, Elisha, and a group of prophets who are called the sons of the prophets. Okay, they are not actual sons of prophets. Think more spiritual sons, okay? But you're going to see this funny interaction between the three of them because they all know that Elijah is about to be taken to heaven, okay? So I'm going to read verses 2 and on here. So this is what it says, "'And Elijah said to Elisha, "'Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me "'as far as the city of Bethel.' "'But Elisha said, "'As the Lord lives "'and as you yourself live, I will not leave you.' "'So they went down to Bethel, presumably together, "'and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel "'came out to Elisha and said to him, "'Hey, do you know that your master "'is going to be taken from you today?' "'And Elisha says, "'Yes, I know it. "'Keep quiet.'" Then Elijah says to him in verse four, "Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho." But Elisha said, "As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you." So they came to Jericho. Jericho, presumably together, the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, "Hey, do you know? Do you hear? Your master Elijah is going to be taken from you today." And Elisha says, "Yes, I know that. Be quiet." Okay. Then Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan, to the Jordan River. Okay. But Elisha said, as, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will, not, I will not leave you. So here's what we know. At each stage, Elijah tells Elisha to stop and not go any further. But at each stage, Elisha presses on determined to follow the one who's leading him here. And I'll also say this, each of those places, Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, the Jordan River, those are just historically significant places in the lives of the people of Israel. That's a whole other message. But verse 6 goes on to say that so the two of them went on, Elisha and Elisha. Fifty men of the sons of prophets also went and they stood at, the di- at some distance from them. As they, were both, as they were both standing by the Jordan, then Elijah took his cloak, so we've got the cloak here, his back, and he rolled it up, right? And he struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and then to the other until the two of them could go over on dry ground. Okay, so the cloak is back in here now, right? It's been with him, but it comes back into the story, and now it's a symbol of power, okay? Okay. And Elijah performs a miracle here in the power of his calling as a prophet. And here at the Jordan River, this historically significant place where God has parted the waters before, where there's actually a memorial erected to God at, this, at the Jordan River, a place that symbolizes new life, and God performs this miracle again, a confirmation that he is in this whole process with them. Verse nine goes on to say, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. He's a genie in a bottle here. I'm granting you a wish, okay? What do you want me to do? And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Of all the things to ask for, money, fame, whatever, Elisha says, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Please let me have more. Let me have more. What does this double portion mean? Most commentators think this refers to the inheritance, kind of like when a father passes on an inheritance to a son. This is kind of a spiritual inheritance from a spiritual father to a spiritual son. Let me inherit being a prophet from you. Let me have two times the inheritance. Others think this this means let me accomplish twice as much as you, and they base that on the fact that that's pretty much what happened. Or let me be the kind of prophet you were in spirit times two. We don't know exactly, but what we do know is that the, the mentee says to the mentor here, I want more. I've seen your life I've seen the way you live it, the way you live out your calling, and I want more of it. That is effective mentoring, right? That is passing on to the next. Verse 10, and it says, Elijah said, Wow, you've asked a hard thing for that double portion. Yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me it shall not be so. So, this is in the Lord's hand whether he's going to grant that request. Verse 11 And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father the closeness that they had together. And it says, And Elisha saw Elijah no more. Then Elisha took hold of his own clothes, a sign of mourning, and he tore them into two pieces. It says next that, And Elisha took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he went back and he stood on the bank Of the Jordan, then Elisha took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and he struck the Jordan River saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? God, are you in this? God, am I next to be the prophet? Is this all gonna happen? And when Elijah had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and then to the other side. And Elisha went over. And verse 15 concludes, it says, Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha, and they came to meet him, and they bowed to the ground before him, and it was passed on. So the question for all of us today is this. Did Elisha rise? Did he rise to what God wanted him to do? Did he rise to the calling? You bet he did. And he did it, why? Because he was prepared for it, because he was all in when he heard it, and because he put himself in a position to be teachable and grow into that role afterwards. Let's pray. God, we want to just pause for a second, even this morning, to give a chance for your Spirit to speak to us. as We see the example in your Word set before us of a man who listened, of a man who was ready, of a man who counted the cost, and of a man who humbled himself to be who you wanted him to be. God, I believe that each, there's a part of the story that probably intersects with every person in this room today. And I just want to ask for you, by your spirit, to make that known, even now. And God, we set our sights so low on what you can accomplish In and through us. Let us, we want to be reminded again, God, that you are a God of power and that you work through our weakness as we are to accomplish your purposes. That was your plan. And so we listen and we humble ourselves and we come as we are and invite you to change the course of this city, of this church of this state, of this nation, of this world through us as we listen and simply live out the calling you've placed in our lives. We love you and we thank you for your leading today. In your name, amen.